0: Able to remain standing for the reading of God's Word. We're continuing on our series on Psalm 119. We are at verse 113. There are not very many chapters of the Bible that you can say turn to verse 113. This is the psalmic section of Psalm 119, 119, which means that every verse in Hebrew starts with that letter uh, there. So this is the word of our Lord, Psalm 119, verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word, that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. We pray that this would be um, an opportunity for us to grow in you. We pray that you be present in the proclamation of the words of life. We pray in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. amen. Please be seated. This is one of the first series in which we actually have stuck to the schedule of preaching very closely. Uh, We've committed to one stanza every Lord's Day morning and every Lord's Day afternoon, and we are uh, doing that, and Lord willing, we'll finish that on the first Sunday of December, at which time we'll start a three-part series on the songs of Christmas. And I don't mean, no hymns 193 through 200 and whatever in our hymnal, uh, but the, the songs that were sung around the birth of John the Baptist and, and Jesus. But that's for December, for the three Sundays following uh, the last uh, section of Psalm 119. For today, we look at the psalmic portion of Psalm 119. And even though the word is not found here in this section, this section is about idolatry. This is what the Lord is speaking to us here today. This is the psalmist meditation on how to fight against idolatry in his own heart and in our heart. Let me ask you this. Any idolaters here today? All of us are struggling with idolatry. Now, we could accurately say that idolatry is the basic sin in the Bible. Even pride flows out of an idolatrous heart. Uh, People tend to quote Calvin as saying that uh, the human heart is a factory of idols. That's not quite what he said, but the sentiment is there that we're able to produce all kinds of idols. Now, you might ask, where do we see idolatry in this stanza? It is in the concept of double-mindedness that we find in verse 113 that guides us through the rest of the passage. To be double-minded is to be ambiguous, on the fe- to be on the fence, to be conflicted about the very first commandment, don't have other gods before me. So uh, the psalmist, as he meditates on God's Word, is reflecting especially on how the Word of God helps him battle idolatry. He never uses the word, but I think you see the idea that the idea is here as we work our way through these uh, eight verses this morning. And as we begin, it is important that we make clear that idolatry is a sin that we all contend with. Every last one of you here in this room struggle at times with the sin of idolatry. You, You may not think that that's the case because... Most of us have never set up a statue of another God to which we bow down before it. Many of us have never pursued another religion. Many of of us here were grown in the church and remain in the church all their lives. We've never turned our backs on the Bible. We have never discounted Jesus. We have never denied the gospel. But even if we haven't done these things, we still struggle with idolatry. When we find our deepest satisfaction in someone, something, anything else but God, we become idolaters. And we all struggle with that. We are double-minded, to use the language of the psalmist. And in this stanza, the psalmist has some words of counsel for us as we fight the battle. The battle that is fought and lost sometimes, and the battle that's fought and won most of the times, if we are following the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want you to see six things uh, in this section, and I tell you right off the bat, they decrease in length as we go through. So don't time the first one and think, oh no, we're going to be here for a while. You know, each point is smaller than the previous one, so don't, don't, be, don't, don't worry, you know, be happy, as the song, as the song <laughs> says. So six things that this particular stanza teaches us about the fight against idolatry that we all face and what we all should face in our lives. The first one is this, a whole person that is a body and soul devotion to God and His Word protects us from idolatry. Look at what he says in verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. The psalmist is telling us that whole person devotion, body and soul to God and loyalty to His Word is the mindset and the heart aspiration of the believer. I hate the double-minded. That's what the author says. That's our attitude, our whole person's desire and dedication to God and His Word. Now, the term double-minded is a term for religious, religious inconsistency. It is a term that indicates a divided loyalty in relation to God. There, there is a number of passages in the Old Testament that illustrate that. But the best one, I think, is in 1 Kings chapter 18. And you know what's going on there in 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, Elijah is coming before the prophets of Baal. You remember the whole story. And uh, he challenges them. Uh, and uh, so they build an altar. There's 400 plus prophets of Baal. They, they start... Um, Dancing before their god, asking Baal to shoot down fire to consume the offering. By noon, things are not looking good, so they start cutting themselves because there's this innate idea that in order to please God, blood is necessary. So even the prophets of Baal kind of understand that. Nothing happens. Elijah makes fun of them, like every as a good reformed preacher. Uh, <laughs> Does and says, hey, is your God in the bathroom? Is that why He's not answering to your, to your prayers? Is He taking a nap? Is that why He's not answering to your prayers? And then they finally give up. And it's Elijah's turn. And he says, okay, let's make things more interesting. I want you to dig a pit around it. Let's pour water in it. Let's pour water over the sacrifices in the altar to make it more challenging. And then he, before he does anything, he confronts God's people. So... As he prepares to defeat the prophets of Baal, as he, prepare, as, as he prepares to show that God is God and Baal is not, he says to the people of God the following. In 1 Kings 18, verse 21, Elijah come to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? The idea is how long are you going to shift between one, one foot and the other? How long are you going to stand on two sides and try to be some on this side and some of this side. If the Lord is God, Elijah says, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. So that's a challenge. And you know what happened after that, right? Elijah calls on God. God consumes the altar and the sacrifice on the altar. Then the 400 plus prophets of Baal are, are killed, And there's great victory there in the confirmation that God is God and Baal is not. But to whom is Elijah speaking these words? Elijah is speaking to the people of the northern kingdom. Some of you are in BSF and uh, you're studying the divided kingdom in BSF. So here it is. Elijah is speaking to the ten tribes of the north, still God's people. Still the people that God had brought out of Egypt had brought them to the, plant, to, the plant, to the promised land. that God had planted them in the land in His kindness, in His goodness. And now they are worshiping the Baals. At the same time, it's a very, it's a very um, confused experience. Because in the same chapter that you read about them worshiping Baals, the same people then leave and go worship the God of the Bible somehow. You have this existence in these two worlds, the one foot on one world sometimes and the other foot and it keeps on switching and toggling back and forth and going from one leg to the other. So he confronts them. These are the people of God that he's speaking to. He confronts them and says, as if he said, how long are you going to hobble one foot and then the other? Divided in your loyalty in relation to God, sometimes worshipping the Baal, sometimes worshipping God, you have to choose one or the other. And that's the call that's always before us. We cannot worship God and Baal. We cannot worship God and something else. You need to choose one or the other, and by not making the choice between one or the other, you've chosen the other. You've chosen the other, because there's no, is impossible to please two masters. Our Lord told us. What are they struggling with? What are these people in Elijah's time struggling with? Well, they are struggling in the language of Psalm 119 with double-mindedness. They are struggling with idolatry. They are worshiping the Baals rather than the one true God. And this is precisely the theme that Joshua addresses in his final address to the people of God. They, in the book of Joshua, they are conquering the promised land. They, they, they are trying to get all the territory that God has given them. Now they come to the end. All that they could to do together as a single army is done. Now they're going to split and go to their different territories in the promised land. And Joshua addresses them for one last time. And encourages them. And in Joshua twenty four, verses fourteen and fifteen, Joshua says, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in the Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if this is the one that we all know, right? And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, is interesting. They says that a choice that's not for the Lord is means that you are thinking that serving the Lord is evil. It's not an innocent, neutral thing. You're actually saying that God is evil, and I'm not going to serve Him. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In essence, Joshua is saying already some of you are tempted to worship the gods of this land, just like the people of God were tempted to in the wilderness to worship the gods of Egypt. And some of you may be tempted to go back and serve the gods of Abraham's fathers. Those are the gods beyond the river. But my family, Joshua says... My family and I, we are going to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's a choice, Joshua uh, says, that you as God's people must make as well. What are you going to do? Being double-minded is not an option. Being an idolater is not an option. You must decide which God you're going to serve. The God of the Bible or something, something else. So I hope you can see that Joshua is calling on them not to be double-minded. He is calling on them to not commit the sin of idolatry. He's calling them to be wholly devoted to God and loyal to the Word. And this must be the mindset of every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We find encouragement, we find this encouragement to faithfulness here in Psalm 119 and throughout the Scriptures because believers struggle with double-mindedness. James in the New Testament a book written to Christians talks about double-mindedness twice. In chapter 1, verses 6 and through 8, in the context of prayer, James speaking to the believer says this, Let him ask in faith with no doubting, For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all these things. And then in the context of pride, in chapter 4, verse 8, James says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he's talking talking to the Christians in the congregation that he wrote to. James knows that double-mindedness is a sin that we all struggle with. Idolatry is a sin that we all struggle with. The battlefield of this sin is the battlefield of the desires of our hearts. When you find thoughts in your heart that are worldly or proud or hateful or impure, that's a warning sign. It is a warning sign that something is wrong and that there is double-mindedness in your heart. And the psalmist here is saying, I hate the double minded. I don't want to be like that. The psalmist and all of us want to be loyal to the Lord. So a whole person dedication to God and his word is one way to fight idolatry and idolatrous heart. Secondly, God himself must be our shelter and shield if we want to successfully battle idolatry. In in verse 114, the psalmist says, You are my hiding place and my shield, I hope, in your word. God himself is our hope and our help. He is the only place of safety in a sinful world. Now, how does idolatry work? Have you ever stopped to think about how does idolatry in our hearts work? Idolatry always works by a lie. And this is the lie. There is some other place where you find safety other than God. There is some other place where you find security other than God. There is some other place where you will find satisfaction other than God. And we so often fall for this lie. Even Adam did in the garden. David did during that time of the year where kings go to war, but he finds himself on the roof staring at a lady taking a bath. Peter had this struggle as he stands there in the courtyard as Jesus is being mocked and tried and he denies Christ even though the Lord had warned him about that. We all struggle with that. So, so let's take an example so we can make it more, conclu- more clear. Let's, let's take an example of loneliness. Someone thinks, I'm so lonely. And that desire for companionship can be overpowering to the point that the person becomes willing to do what God said to to do, not to do, in order to find a relief for that loneliness. And when that happens, that person has fallen into idolatry. When we are willing to do something that God told us not to do in order to fulfill the desire of our heart, then we've fallen into idolatry. At that time, the lonely person is saying, Lord, you can't be my shield. You can't be my stay. You can't be my help. You can't be my hope. I can only find that somewhere else, even though you told me that I should not seek it there. That's how idolatry works. It is so important for us to understand what the psalmist is saying here. God himself is our shelter and our shield, our help and our hope, and the only place of safety in this sinful world. When we look to anything, to anyone else, to alleviate the loneliness or to fulfill any other desires to satisfy our longing, then it will fail us and we'll have fallen into idolatry. The lie always fails. It failed for even Adam. It failed for David. It failed for Peter. But our Lord is gracious. In all those three examples, what did God do to them and for them? God restored them all to himself. And that's why God is always our hope and always our help. Thirdly, as we battle idolatry in our hearts, as, as, we, as we endeavor to not be double-minded by God's grace, pay attention to the company you keep in the fight against idolatry. Pay attention in the company you keep in the fight against idolatry. In verse 115, it says, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. When we enter in intimate relationships with those that are worldly, those whose hearts are not with God and for God, those who are wicked, we work our own ruin in those relationships. What does the apostle say, quoting another writer in 1 Corinthians 15? Remember what he says there? He says in verse 33, evil company corrupts good habits. When you place yourself in a company characterized by idolatry, don't be surprised if you're influenced by that company. It is so important for us to understand that who we, we unite with, who we decide to fight the fight with, who we decide to walk with in this world will have a great impact on the fight against idolatry. I'm so glad that the Lord's given me a wife and friends that can walk with me in the fight against idolatry. Godly wife, godly friends, a godly family that walk with me and help me fight against idolatry. Could, I couldn't do them. I could, do, I could not do without them. I need them. I need them desperately in my life to be able to keep the fight against idolatry. I, I truly could not do without them. But were I in the steady companionship of idolaters, I would most certainly fall. And we need to understand that of each one of us. That's true of each one of us. So who are your closest relationships? Who are your most intimate relationships? Who are the people that you enjoy the most? Are they faithful followers of Jesus Christ? Or do you think, man, those church people are so boring, I don't want anything to do with them? The problem might be with you. The problem might be with the desires of your heart. The problem may be with the things that attract you. That you might be so enamored with this world that instead of what the, 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 song, the, the song says, instead of this world growing strangely dim, it is Christ who is growing strangely dim in your heart. And the psalmist reminds us of that. He says, depart from me, evildoers, workers of iniquity. I want to keep the commandments of God. I'm not going to make my home with you. I'm not going to feel at home with you. And it's not that he's cut himself from sinners, because to do that, you have to leave this world. Right? But he's saying, the place of belonging, the place of companionship, the place of my deep relationships are going to be with people who love God. People who have determined to be loyal to God, people who have have that same aspiration for a whole person, body and soul, devotion to God, and loyalty to His Word that I want to have. He says that because when we join in friendship with the worldly and the wicked, we work out our own ruin. It is a poison that you're taking, hoping that somehow you're going to get better that your heart's going to feel better, that you're going to grow somehow. Fourthly, the psalmist says that God, His promises, and His word are our strength in fighting against idolatry. In verse 116, he says, Uphold me according to your word, that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. And then in 117, Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. The psalmist focuses on the promise of God to him. Promises like, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be your God and you're going to be my people. I will always be faithful to you. Promises that God has made to all of us in Jesus Christ. And he focuses on God's word. He says, I have regard for your statutes continually. But then there's an emphasis on depending upon God himself. He says, hold me up and I shall be safe. And this is so important for us to understand. In the fight against idolatry, we must ultimately depend upon God himself, upon God's own promise, upon God's own word. To put in other words, the greatest weapon that we have in the fight against idolatry is God himself. To be with him, to know him, to delight in him, to treasure him, to commune with him, to be under his word, to dwell on his precious promises, to believe those promises, to rehearse those promises to ourselves. Because if God is not attracted to us, we are going to go seek some other God. And that's why we need to be under the word week after week after week after week. Because we get to Monday and we already forgot the promises we heard about on Sunday. And you could have forgotten promises that you've heard already last Sunday. You need to be reminded of it today. And we need to be together week after week after week after week under that word, believing that word, rehearing that word, memorizing the word, rehearsing that word back to ourselves, studying that word, reading it more, rehearing it more, because God, in His promise and in His word, is the hope and the stay of both the believer and our strength against falling into idolatry. You can never hear the word of God enough. If you if you think that you can, then you're already on the way to lose the battle. You cannot need the Word of God enough. You cannot need in in being the fellowship of God's people enough. You know, I put my hour in in, good to go, fellowshiped, box checked on to the next thing. That's a double-minded heart. That's an idolatrous heart speaking when you think that way fifthly meditate on god's judgment against those who willfully rebel against god as you fight as you fight idolatry let me say this again meditate on god's judgment against those who willfully rebel against god as you you fight idolatry thinking about what god does to those who rebel against him will oh, help us verses 118 and 119 say You reject all those who stray from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. In these verses, the psalmist is meditating on God's just judgment against those who willfully engage in rebelling against him by being idolaters. God spurns and discards them. God calls them to look to the consequences of their sin and tremble. The language of trembling will actually be used in the very next verse as well about our attitude towards God. Why do we do that? Why don't we meditate upon the judgments that God brings upon the wicked as an encouragement to stay faith with him? Why doesn't that always work? Why don't the consequence of sin turn us away from sin sometimes? We all have seen the ruinous consequences for sinful decisions in the lives of individuals and families. We've seen that every one of us has seen what sin does in people's lives. Every one of us, a lot of us, have experienced what sin does in our own lives. Why is that not enough? The judgment that God brings. Why is that enough for us to keep on going and to remain faithful to Him and to refuse to be double-minded? I think there is at least two reasons. One is this: because the desires are so strong to have that which. You do not have that you cease to see the consequences that idolatry desire for the, whatever that is, that thing, that person, whatever that is is so strong that blinds you to the consequence of following that. I right. know I know that, uh, know that the, the Newtons have now reread read the Lord of the Rings, so I won 't spoil for them by talking about Lord's Rings. But remember Smeagol, or um, what's his bad name? Gollum. He knew what the ring would do to him. He knew the bad consequences, but he desired so much that that blinded him for any of the consequences that were so evident to him. And that's what we're doing when we don't allow God's righteous judgments to help us in the fight for idolatry. Secondly, the judgments don't speak to us because we, always, we often think, oh, but that, don't, that won't happen to me. That happened to them, but it won't happen to me. But the same God that opened up the ground and consumed Korah's entire family, plus all the leaders around them, with fire from heaven and from hell, is the God that we serve today. The same God that closed the Red Sea upon the armies of Egypt is the God that we serve today. The same God that made Nebuchadnezzar behave like an animal for seven years, the most powerful king on earth at the time, behave like an animal for seven years, is the God that we serve today. These judgments should help us in reminding us of the consequences of sin. It's better to learn from the consequences of other people's sins than to suffer those consequences Ourselves, And yet, still the psalmist says, it's important for me, the psalmist says, to look at the consequences of rebellion against God in the lives of others. And the Bible is filled with it, and our own experiences are filled with it. It is important for us to, from time to time to just look at that. And say, but pastor, come to church to feel good, to be uplifted, Well, sometimes in order to be uplifted, you need to be brought low. It is in humbling ourselves before God that we are exalted. Remember again that God has so ordained that there is a connection between sin and misery and obedience and blessings. Sin is miserable. It is not that we earn our salvations through our obedience, but that God has ordered this world so that Misery follows sin, and blessing is that which is enjoyed by those who obey his word. And the ultimate blessing is fellowship with God and peace with God that are experienced by those that are faithful to him. And we need to remind ourselves of that because our desire can overpower us in our sight of that truth. Sin will bring consequences. Sin will bring judgment. Proverbs 13 says, The way of the transgressor, the way of the sinner, is hard. As you are tempted to idolatry, or tempted to desire something more than God, take this to the bank. The way of the sinner is hard. But the yoke of Christ is easy. Sixthly, and lastly, The fear of the Lord is the ultimate protection of the heart against idolatry. In verse 120, the psalmist says, My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. And the Old Testament often speaks of the fear of God or the fear of the Lord as the very heart of religion. It is the way that the... the, The essence of godliness is described in the Old Testament. And that's true throughout the Lord. And the fear of the Lord and the love of the Lord are not contradictions. They always go together. In our minds, is it a fear or love? And the Bible is always fear and love as we come before God. It's interesting that here the first word that the psalmist uses for fear, my flesh trembles, is really the only place in the whole Bible where this word is used as a description of those who fear the Lord. That the trembling, you're, you're, you're getting, your you're flesh is shaking with fear of God. And that's the experience of the believer and not the unbeliever. The, the awesomeness of God. There is a deep fear in the sight of God. And that might seem strange at first sight, but that is what God tells us throughout the Bible. To fear and to love that will result in service. Even the New Testament talks about that, where it says that to believers is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God, John Murray, who was a professor at the Westminster Seminary years ago, said this concerning this uh, the, the, the subject of fear and love. He said, "The fear of God in which godliness consists is the fear which contains adoration and love. It is a fear which consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these in the highest level of exercise. It is the reflex in our consciousness of the transcendent majesty and holiness of God." Fear and love, fear all and love must always go together. If we're going to fight idolatry, God is not your pal. God is not your homie. God is not your buddy. God is the Creator of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Center of the Spirit, the One who's going to send His Son back again to judge the living and the dead, to bring them back to life for eternity. That's who God is. Not a genie in a, in, a, in a lamp. Not Santa Claus. God is fearful. And we love him for that. So tremble, believer, before your God. Because that will keep you. That you keep you from idolatry. When you see God as your father and you love him and you understand that God is the Lord and you reverence him and you hold him in awe, only then is the heart ready to take on both the assaults of the world and the flesh and the devil to tempt us to double-mindedness. The psalmist reminds that, the, that that's a really bad world out there. But it's even a worse world right here. And apart from knowing the, the God that this psalmist knows, there is no hope for us. But Christian rejoice. For your hope in life and in death is in the God of heaven who sent his son Jesus Christ to pay for the penalty of your sins and now in this life and in life forever you have fellowship with your father let us pray together father thank you for your word we thank you for these serious warnings we pray that you help us not to be double minded but to be so in love with you to fear you properly that we will not be Tempted by the attractions of this world That is indeed growing strangely dim For those that follow Christ Father, we are tired of living in a fallen world We're tired of death We're tired of struggles We're tired of attacks from Satan and the world And from our own heart So we pray that uh, you would come That the Lord Jesus would come quickly Meanwhile, give us strength To occupy while you don't return